0: You're listening to The Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Over the course of September, as some of you know, we've been discussing some aspects about the church. Uh, Things in the church that uh, we feel are significant, and on that same end, how we seek to create spaces and opportunities for those things. And uh, today we're going to be talking about prayer. And um, I just want to summarize what we've talked about so far before we do that. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about fellowship and uh, how it's important that we're creating a welcoming atmosphere, seeking unity with one another and building up the body of Christ. Uh, last week, Pastor Blair reminded us of the importance of the next generation and and how we need to be fully on on board and investing in our kids and in our our youth and even young adults because they're the future of the church and to such belong the kingdom of god um speaking of young adults I hope you guys are going to be coming to my house this afternoon because we're going to have a lot of fun um but uh, so so in that vein as we've been discussing all these things that we feel are important um and we've discussed spaces and opportunities that we've that we've put in place so that we can volunteer, so we can serve the kids, so that we can seek fellowship, you know, whether it's at coffee break or at community groups or uh, as we worship and serve together and do missions together and study the Word of God together and all those things, um, all good stuff. But as with most things, when we're talking about works, we have to be careful. Right, Because as we've been discussing the church and, and, and all the things we're seeking to do and ways we're, we're seeking to grow as the body of Christ, our natural human tendency will be to try to attempt to accomplish all of these things in our own strength. Or just as worse, to go through the motions you know, out of a sense of obligation or pride. In other words, even though we're, we're here to serve and experience God, ironically, we often leave Him out of it. I know not only is that dishonoring to God, but, but also when we do that, this, this all really becomes so pointless, exhausting, and, and even worse, powerless. Psalm 127 1 2 gives it to us straight when it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his be- beloved sleep. We we have a tendency to just run around and run around and, and, and go and go and go and do and do and do in the church in our lives, right? But the irony is that, that God wants to give to his beloved. God wants to move in this place, in your lives, and in this church. He wants to build his house. We just have to let him do it. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Throughout Scripture, we we, we see God creating and designing spaces so that he can dwell with his people in the place that they're at, right? So right at the beginning in Genesis, there's the garden, and then we move on, there's the Ark of the Covenant, and then there's the tabernacle, then the temples, then Jesus, then the church, and then in Revelation, the new Jerusalem. So, so we see that this is the whole point of, of our redemption, right? God wants his people to dwell in his presence. God wants his people to be in his presence so that he can be our, uh, our God and we can be his people, right? And through Jesus, through his, his sacrifice at the cross, through his death and resurrection, right, we're made into a living temple of the Lord. Obviously, then, this isn't something that we can, we can manufacture or build ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. We need, we need the Lord to build this and, and to work in us. And it goes back to the question, do we know this? Do we know that we're God's temple and His Spirit dwells in us? Not not Intellectually spiritually do we know this near the end of jesus's ministry he heads over to the temple and he sees that it's being used as a market square right we've all heard the story people are selling their wares and peddling their goods and i'm speaking generally here but i think that many of our churches in the west like in our western culture have resorted to this to to peddling their goods. To attracting the masses by whatever, whatever way they can, you know, by being relevant or by being, uh, having polished TED talk like speakers or good looking pop stars as worship leaders or catchy visions or professionally organized programs or culturally relevant references, right? R- really, a lot of Western churches have become places that cater To our individualistic narcissism, where emotion is manufactured and people come to consume and be entertained, we're peddling our wares, right? And don't get me wrong, having polished speakers is is great, you know? We should be doing the best that we can for God, right? And um, having worship leaders... That know what they're doing is great that that isn't wrong or bad but the problem is that too often our our confidence and our reliance for success in the church is being placed on those things in and of themselves and we become so good at these things that that we leave god out of it we're relying on those things instead of the spirit of god for example we we have kids ministry running right now downstairs and god bless the volunteers that are doing that um but you know what? We could run kids' ministry by following the format of the service order. We can read the story. We can play the worship videos. We can go through the motions. We can do all of that in our own strength, right? And, and some have, and they burnt out. Another example, you know, a musician could come up here on stage and play their instrument and sing the words without God's help, right? That's easy. And not that God doesn't work through what we've prepared. Of course he does. And, and not that the Holy Spirit only works in randomness. That's, that's bad theology. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, where is our heart at? Where are we drawing our strength from? Because if we're just going through the motions, we don't need God for that. We can, we can act like the church without actually being the church. So church buildings might be filling the seats, but hearts aren't being changed when the Spirit of God is, is, is barely acknowledged or given any room to move. And in that sense, it's all in vain. Of course, when, when Jesus walked into the temple and saw all these people misusing the space that was meant to reverently and, and humbly bring people into the presence of God, he, he proceeded to turn over the tables and whip people out of the, out of the temple grounds. Obviously, this was a big deal. And then he proclaims, pro- proclaims this prophecy from Isaiah, as it's recorded in Matthew 21, 13. He said to them, as he was doing all this, he says, It is written, My house... Will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of thieves. The temple of the Lord, which is now us, right? The church is meant to be a house of prayer. We're meant to be a house of prayer. But generally speaking, again, what in the West, what have we turned it into? A social club? a feel-good comfort zone, entertainment, a religious institution, a place to show off and be relevant, a religious chore or duty, a, a mundane tradition, a place of apathy, a place to, to peddle our wares. Mark Sayers, he's an Australian pastor and author who recently spoke at a conference in, in Portland for church leaders about living in and being the church in our current post-Christian culture, and he had this to say, and when he said it, I was listening to it it on a podcast, when he said it just hit me, and he said, what if at this moment God would like to renew the Western church, and what if he has to let it get so bad so that you get to the point where you realize that that brilliant preaching that's culturally irrelevant, it it ain't going to work incredible worship that is trying to be as close to the culture as possible, it's not going to work. The whole aesthetic and and design of churches, one that's actually ahead of the world, it's still not going to work. You can download every Netflix series, comment on it, listen to every cutting-edge album and reference it in your churches, and that's not going to work. You can go into different kinds of discipleship structures and groups, but none of that's going to work just on its own because renewals happen when people get to the end of themselves and there's nothing to rely on except the contending on your knees for God's presence to move. Renewals happen when people get to the end of themselves and there's nothing to rely on except the contending on your knees for God's presence to move. Unless the Lord builds his house. We labor in vain. Aren't we, aren't we tired of floundering? Aren't we tired of being in doubt? Aren't we tired of just going through the motions? Aren't we tired of trying to do it on our own? Aren't we tired of gimmicks and, and, and trying to be relevant and following the 10 steps to grow your church? I am. I'm tired of it. And I'm hungry. And I'm not content with the mundane. I'm not content with just going through the motions. We need the power of God to move in this place if we're to be the church he's called us to be and whatever that's going to look like. We need the power of God to move in this church if we want to see renewal. And therefore, we need to get to the end of ourselves and get on our knees in prayer. Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God wants to move in this place. God wants to bring healing. I've been, I've been feeling that heavily, and it, that the Holy Spirit wants to move. He, he, he wants to bring renewal and, and power and holiness and life to our dry bones. He wants to use our gifts, gifts and, our, and our ministries and our, and our programs to work in us and through us to proclaim the name of Jesus to each other and to the city. He wants to prepare our hearts for what's coming. But we need to be ready for it. We have to lay down our lives and and seek him. James 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and God's going to move. And I'm not talking about just me. I can't do this all on my own. I'm not talking just about the elders in the church. No, spiritual revival or renewal or whatever word you want to use comes when a whole people humble themselves, repent, and turn their hearts over to the Lord and seek his repentance and seek his presence. We have to be a church of prayer. As Megan Hill writes, whole church prayer is vital. Even a casual glance through the book of Acts reveals that the early church was serious about praying together. They prayed together in the temple and in their homes when they were sick and when they were filled with the Spirit at mealtimes and in times of persecution. Again and again we find them all together devoting themselves to prayer. As our local churches take up valuable projects in the places where we live and work, we must not neglect that most vital work that undergirds everything we do. Sometimes I hear the excuse. Sometimes it's in my own head too. I, don't, I was just too busy to pray. Just so busy that I, that I just didn't have time to pray. But come on, that makes no sense. The, the reality is that in our churches and in our lives, the busier we are, the more we need to pray. How can we accomplish anything for the glory of God or even have the strength and power for it if we're not praying? Prayer within the context of the church community is foundational. Our service, our our worship, our fellowship, our goals, our study of the word, our, our offerings, our ministries, our programs, they need to be steeped in prayer. It undergirds everything we do. It, it, it invites the presence of God into it, and more importantly, as we pray, we're drawn into His perfect will, into His desire, and given His power, His Holy Spirit, to be effective as the church. When a people praise together, when a people pray together in the name of Jesus, God moves, and that's the way it's been biblically, and that's the way it's been historically. Right, if, if, you, if you trace the beginnings of, of any historical spiritual revival or outreach or successful church plant or healthy shift in, in the church in the last 2,000 years, you'll find that it's always started with a group of people who were committed to praying together, who were committed to repentance and contending for the presence of God to move according to his word. And sometimes they'd even pray for years before they saw anything. And also as the book of Acts records the mighty works of God for and through his his church in the early years, it you can tell that it clearly connects those moments to unified corporate prayer. It clearly connects. Those moments to unify corporate prayer. The 120 were gathered in an upper room praying in one accord when Pentecost comes. The disciples prayed for wisdom and knowing who Judas' replacement should be. When Peter and John reported the Sanhedrin's threats, those gathered together cried out to God in one accord for boldness, and, and the place was shaken when they prayed. The church prayed over the seven men appointed to serve the widows while also pointing out the importance of praying as elders. After James was martyred and Peter imprisoned by Herod, the church was fervently praying and God miraculously delivered Peter from his cell. While the prophets and teachers were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas to go on their first missionary journey. Paul and Silas were praying when God sent an earthquake that resulted in the conversion of the jailer and their release. And, you know, I can't explain how it all works. But we know this. God moves when a people seek him in prayer. God does amazing things when, when a people get on their knees and surrender and allow him to use them and glorify them. And, and I want to point out as well that, that as I was reading through those testimonies of God working in Acts and, and thinking about you know, his, the church historically, it reminded me of three things. First of all, that, that as the church, we can and should pray with expectancy. With faith. I mean, just seeing how God's moved in the past according to his promise, right? that should give us a hope that for what he'll continue to do in us now and in the future. James 1.6-8 says, But when you pray, you must believe and not doubt at all. Whoever doubts is like a wave in the sea that is driven and blown about by the wind. If you are like that, unable to make up your mind and undecided in all you do, you must not think that you will receive anything from the Lord. Pray with expectancy, with faith, without ceasing, and be patient. And secondly, you know, these testimonies reminded me that, it, that as the church, we can and should be praying about anything and everything, and especially for each other. As it says in Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And Ephesians 6, 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So pray, Paul says, and when you do, pray for everything. And keep in mind to always pray for all the Lord's people. For one another, for our families, for our church, for our pastors. Please, for for those in need and those rejoicing. For other churches, for those in missions, for those in persecution, for those who will be part of the family but just don't know it yet. Pray for all the Lord's people. Pray like we belong to something bigger than ourselves because we do And third, those testimonies in Acts are also a reminder for us that that we need prayer not only to see God move within the church, but to also give us faith and boldness outside of these walls. In Acts 4, we read about uh, Peter and John. A couple of apostles, and they're in Jerusalem, and they're spreading the gospel of Jesus, and they're healing people in Jesus' name. But the Pharisees, they get word of it, and, and so they have them seized, and they have them arrested and thrown in jail for it. And the next day, they're, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, which is you know the, the court of powerful and influential Jewish religious leaders, and, 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 Pe- and Peter and John are questioned, and they're subsequently threatened and told to stop preaching the name of Jesus told to stop preaching the name of Jesus. And um, I think we often forget that that's the type of of culture that the early church was standing up against, even though they still flourished. They're standing up against a culture that raged against them and raged against the name of Jesus. They found it offensive, a culture that, that continually told them to stop preaching Jesus because they found it offensive. I know, you know, we're not under the threat of persecution or, or the threat of being arrested. When we walk out these doors, we face a similar culture these days, don't we? A post-Christian culture that's ever-growing in animosity against the church in the name of Jesus. A culture that wants us to stop proclaiming him and instead embrace their ideologies. because of this there's a lot of pressure for us to hide or or to give in or conform it's not like it used to be 50 years ago and like being worldly was like just don't drink alcohol and do drugs right no today there's there's a war on on doctrine our cultures pushing and forcing its morality and ideology and sexuality and individualism on everyone, force-feeding it to us. And like Pharisees, raging in offense against those who disagree with their morality. And So as a Christian and a pastor, I think and I pray a lot about how how we're going to resist and withstand this As the church, how how can we remain faithful to God and His Word in the midst of such animosity and pressure to conform? How can we be Christians in a world that so passionately tries to tell us to stop, stop being Christians in our schools, in our parliament, and at work, on Facebook? But not only that, you know, how how are we going to find? The courage to go on the offensive as well, so to speak. How how do we boldly share the gospel and portray the love of God in a world that looks at us like we're offensive or off our rocker? Coming back to Peter and John who are standing in front of the Sanhedrin, right under threat of being beaten or killed. These are the same people that would later give permission to solve, to, to arrest and stone Christians to death. And they're standing in front of them. And they're questioning them, but they, they didn't back down. Now, this this is the same Peter that, that ran off when Jesus, or denied Jesus three times, sorry. But in this moment, he's standing in front of them. He's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, hello, that the reason... <laughs> He tells them that the reason that they proclaimed Jesus and were healing people in his name was because there was no other name given among men by which we can be saved. They're telling them to stop preaching the gospel and he just (laughs) preaches the gospel to them. And then even when they're threatened again and, and told to stop preaching Jesus... Acts four nineteen to 20, it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's like, it's like breathing to, to him. He's unable to stop preaching Jesus. And, and I just ask myself, where do they get that boldness from? right How are they walking so powerfully in the Spirit? And I ask that again because we need that kind of boldness and power if we're going to stand in faith and, and proclaim the gospel outside these walls. Unfortunately, well, we quickly find out the answer to that question because as soon as they're released, they join up with their Christian community, they report what happened, and they pray. It's not just any prayer, right? They pray Scripture. They pray God's word, they pray from a psalm, and they specifically ask God, according to his character and his promise, to give them boldness to proclaim the gospel as God stretches out his hands to perform healing and signs and wonders. And this is what happens next, Acts 4.31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. See, they contended together for the presence of God to move, and he moved. The place was shaken. The apostles understood as well that their battle wasn't against the culture. they, They had nothing to fear from the Sanhedrin, from these Pharisees. They understood that the battle was a spiritual one. And that, that kind of battle can only be fought and won through prayer and standing on the word of God. In other words, if, if we're to walk in the will and power of God within the church and outside the church, we need to be in prayer. And practice, Practically speaking, because of this, we, we've tried to create opportunities and spaces for us to join together in prayer at the gate. For example, community groups give us a, an opportunity to be praying together every week. Also, after every message, you know, we always have a prayer team that's available over by the back window over there on the side. And they're always ready and, and willing to pray for you and with you. At 9 o'clock a.m. before our Sunday services... That same prayer team is downstairs for pre-service prayer. And I want to point out that anyone and everyone, you don't just have to be part of the service that day, anyone and everyone is welcome and invited and encouraged to join them at any point between 9 o'clock and 9.55 to come and pray for the church and, and for, for others and, and for the city and for other churches and, and also to get prayed for. To prepare your hearts for the service. Even That happens every Sunday morning. It's there. It's available. And, and so we have all these, these, these opportunities to gather together and pray and seek the presence and, and will and blessing of God together. So I, I encourage each of you to take advantage of them. Because as I've been saying, we need to. We need to. But to be honest, we need more than that. And so I'm excited to announce that, that we're initiating a couple more things this year when it comes to praying together. And, and the first thing is that once a month during, during one of our services, we're going to be led in what's called a congregational prayer. Uh, basically what that is is one of, one of our elders will, will come up to the stage and intentionally pray for this church, for the city, for missions, for current events that are happening, and especially for individuals within our congregation that, that need prayer and that would like to be prayed for. Um, and even though that they're going to be coming up and being the only one speaking the prayer, it's, it'll be a chance for all of us to intentionally bow our heads together to agree and intercede and pray in the name of Jesus. As Megan Hill again writes, the church at prayer is not a passive, half-drowsy group of listeners. Right? When one person is praying, we don't just, don't just zone out right? The church at prayer is a body at work, an army at war, and a congregation at worship. Whether we stand or sit or kneel for prayer, we must understand that when one person prays aloud, every person in the assembly is actually praying alongside him. And so we're going to be doing that. We're going to start doing it once a month, an intentional prayer. And of course, Uh, We'll be taking prayer requests for that, which you can email to us at at info@thegate.org, or you can just tell us or message us on Facebook if you'd like to be included in that uh, time of prayer, or if you know someone that that needs needs prayer, you can let us know about that. And so I'm excited about that. Um, The other thing that we'll be initiating starting in October next month is we're going to be doing a monthly prayer service. A monthly prayer service. And... um, We'll still have the odd worship night here and there. We used to do that monthly. Um, But we've really felt God leading us to put more focus on prayer. And so on the fourth Sunday of every every month, we'll be gathering here in the evening as the body of Christ to pray together with each other, for each other, ultimately to get on our knees, so to speak, as the body and, and contend for the presence of God to move. So we'll be doing that the fourth Sunday of every month in the evening. We have prayer service. And I'm really nervous about that. I'm really excited about that as well. Because again, God wants to move. God wants to move in this church, in us, in our lives. We just have to surrender to him and seek him out in prayer. And on that note, I want to end my message this morning with with a part of Psalm 51. Because not only is it a perfect example of what it looks like to humble ourselves in prayer, in the presence of God, but I also want it to be our closing prayer this morning. In fact, we'll also be singing it as well after we receive communion. And so as I read it, and pray it, and as we sing it together, I, I encourage you to, to meditate on those words and speak the words as your own together in the midst of the body of Christ. And so, um, as I start reading here, the band can actually come up if they want. And um, let's direct our hearts and, and, and just focus on God as I, as I read and pray from his word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion And my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned. And done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice, pleasing to God, is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Amen.